Will you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, John 17. And these brothers have some Bibles. They're going to make their way to the back as they do. Get their attention. They'll get a Bible to you. And that Bible is our gift to you. We want everyone to own a copy of God's Word. And those are marked at John 17. Shopping is one of my least favorite activities. I only shop if I must, and if I must, my objective is to obtain the desired commodity quickly so that the shopping is done as quickly as possible. So it means that I always go to the smallest and thus presumably quickest place that might have the item. One time we were driving home and Kim was thinking about dinner. She said she had everything she needed except sour cream. So we needed to stop somewhere and get sour cream. I pulled into a gas station. (laughs) And Kim gives me the look that I've seen a number of times over the years. The one that says, you've got to be kidding. And proceeds to tell me this gas station's not going to have sour cream. And I went in anyway, silently praying that this gas station carries sour cream. And it had a section with milk. It even had a couple dozen eggs, and not far from that, a few 16-ounce round plastic containers, which looked promising, but alas, it was chipped up, and no sour cream. So I returned to the car, not making eye contact with my wife, whose look I am sure had gone from, you're an idiot, to, I told you so. And I simply pointed to a guy who was coming out of the gas station with a bag in hand, and I said, he took the last sour cream. (laughs) And I did do that. Now, for years, my girls have teased me for my preference for Food Town, which is near our house, and that preference is over the larger, and not to mention cleaner, Kroger, That's also near our house. And I was one of about two people who preferred Food Town, as evidenced by the fact that it went out of business recently. I personally detest shopping. But I know that some of you are power shoppers, complete with lists and coupons when you go. And that's just for the smaller items. When shopping for a larger or more expensive item, most of us put a bit more time into it. If you buy a car, for instance, you may have a make, model, color, accessories in mind before you go to the dealership. Or if you're buying a house, you might want a certain style and have certain amenities that are on your must-have list. But notice something that all of these shopping experiences have in common, whether for big items or for small ones. You're the one who decides what's best. You create your own criteria based on your tastes and your desires. You may have a certain brand of sour cream you like, or a certain style of clothes. When you go to the grocery store or department store or car dealer, no one's there to question your choices. You're the consumer, you're the judge and jury about what is best, and that establishment exists to satisfy your requirements. Now that consumer mindset that we take to the marketplace is fine, But it can become a real problem when we take it to church. 
If we're not careful, we can become church consumers in the same way that we shop. And so we create a checklist of things that we like and dislike and make a decision based on little more than personal preference. Now, of course, if it's important, it is important for any church that you choose to be able and willing to meet the real needs of all of those in your family. And so if you have children, for example, you want to know that they're going to be cared for and taught by people who are competent and who love them. There may be other needs that arise out of your particular phase of life, so you want to ensure that the church that you consider is able to help you. That's all fine and good. There are real and legitimate criteria for evaluating a church. And all of those fit into those real and legitimate criteria. But there are other more important criteria. And hear this, friends. These more important criteria do not arise from us as the sovereign consumer, but from the Lord as our sovereign God. Some of you are in a position to be looking for a church. Perhaps you've moved into the area recently, or you haven't been in church for a while, you'd like to find one, or perhaps you attended our open house just uh, yesterday, and you were intrigued, so you decided to come to this message that we've advertised on the material you received yesterday as introducing Community Bible Church. But whatever brought you to us, we're genuinely glad that you're here. Shopping for a church can indeed be difficult as it's such an important decision, and you want to get it right. One thing that will help you is this. In addition to the list of personal requirements that you may have for a church, add to that list what God says about a good church. That is, instead of only asking, what am I looking for in a church? Ask yourself this. What does God look for in a church? And today I want to help you answer that question, what does God look for in a church? And I want to do that by showing you how Community Bible Church seeks to be the kind of church that God describes in the Bible. Now, of course, I can't cover all that the Bible says about church in one message, but I can point you to the characteristics that the Bible gives of a God-honoring church and then tell you how we seek to be that kind of church. And so today we're going to look at what I call community values. Now, values are what undergird all that we say and do. Not just we here at community, but you. All of us have values, spoken or unspoken, written or unwritten, that undergird all that we say and do. They go beyond what we say on paper about ourselves, and they get to the lifeblood of what makes us as individuals or as an organization or as, an a church, as a church tick. Now, I've supplied an outline for you in the program that you should have received on the way in. I encourage you to take a look at that. And there are three values in particular that are God-honoring according to God in His Word regarding the church. The first of those is this. Community, as in our church, values truth. Community values truth. As we look at these community values, the very first of the values that God gives us with regard to a church is it has to be a place that values truth. And so our church seeks to value truth. And we're going to spend most of our time on this point because it's the source of the others. Without truth, we simply don't know what we're supposed to be and to do as a church. 
I've had you turn to John 17 in your Bibles. Because on the night before Jesus died, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 what is legitimately called the Lord's Prayer. Because it's a prayer that the Lord himself prayed. Now we are going through a series during this hour uh, that we will continue next week on the most famous of all sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of that, Jesus gave what is often called the Lord's Prayer. As we'll see, it's really the disciples' prayer because it's a prayer Jesus didn't pray and couldn't pray, actually. There are commands in there that don't apply or requests in there that don't apply to Jesus at all. But this is a prayer in John 17 that Jesus himself prayed. And he prayed for his first followers, the disciples. And then after that, later in John 17... He prays for those who will believe in me because of their message. That is, Jesus, the night before he died, prayed for you and me, people who would believe the apostles' message. And in the midst of this prayer, in verse 17 of John 17, Jesus says to the Father, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth is truth. The reason that every week we gather here to open up an ancient book, the Bible, the Scriptures, is because your word, God's word, is truth. And God has taken pains to preserve that truth for us for centuries so that we can have it, learn it, and live by it. In the first part of your Bible, There are a number of obscure and difficult-to-pronounce names of guys who were prophets. One of those is a man named Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a spokesman for for God. And Habakkuk chapter 2 says this. God said to Habakkuk, write down the revelation. Write down the revelation. You know, it's true, friends, that a short pencil is better than a long memory. So if you want to be sure that you have a record of something, if you want to be sure to remember it, if it's really all that important, then you need to write it down. In the 20 years that I spent as a computer consultant, I found myself at different places for different assignments using different kinds of equipment. So each time I went to a new place, I had to learn the process. And in my first week there, I would make a point to write everything down, everything that I was told. Now, why? Because it was important to me. I didn't want to forget it. Some of you have heard me say in the past that when I'm meeting with someone about a ministry area and they're not writing down what we're discussing, I know we'll be covering this issue again. If it's important, write it down. Preserve it. And the Lord is saying to Habakkuk here, Don't trust this to memory. Don't lose what I'm going to tell you for future generations. The message I'm going to give is of utmost importance. So Habakkuk, write it down, and it's contained for us now here in the Bible. God has compiled and preserved his word so that we can have it in our day. The Bible was written over a 1,600-year period. And in that 1,600-year period, through 40 different authors... An omniscient, all-knowing God gave us everything he wanted us to know to govern our lives so that we can please him. And so from the very beginning, Moses, who wrote the very first book of your Bible, Genesis, to the very end, 
the book of Revelation, the 66 books that are contained therein, God was producing his word through men like Moses and men like the Apostle John. Some of what God said was written down, and then prophets were raised up to supplement what was written down. But with the passing of the last apostle, the Apostle John in 98 A.D., God's word was complete, and hear this, it is sufficient, and we need nothing else. We do not need supernatural experiences to guide us to confirm what the Word of God has to say. The first part of your Bible contains this little book named after this man, Habakkuk. And his message has been preserved for us like the message of Moses and the message of John and of Paul and of David and of Isaiah and Micah and Zephaniah and on it goes. And God said to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, write it down to preserve it. But he also said to him this, The Lord said to Habakkuk, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. This refers to the writing process itself. Habakkuk, write it down, write it carefully, make it legible, make it readable. There has to be no question, God is saying, as to what it is I have said. Now, if I want something to be readable, I do one of two things. One option is I have Kim write it. When we give a graduation card or a wedding card or a birthday card, it's always a collaborative effort between us. I provide the wording, and she makes it so that the person can read it. For other messages, I type it out. But I don't ever give it in my handwriting. And the common writing material of Habakkuk's day was a clay tablet. So someone would sit down with a stylus and scratch the letters into the clay, and then they would bake the clay to preserve the writing. The importance of God's Word requires that we make it available and that we make it clear and plain. Just as an aside, this is one of the reasons that we use a modern version of the Bible in English. We happen to use the New International Version. But that's because God's Word is so important that people need to be able to understand it. And so we've given you a Bible, and we offer it to you for free, written in language that you're able to understand. William Tyndale was persecuted because of his commitment to translate the Word of God into the English language. And he expressed his desire with these words, every plowman will have the Word of God. Every common man or woman is to have a copy of the Word of God in his or her own language. And it's our desire as a church that every man, woman, boy, and girl will have the Word of God that they can open, that they can read, and that they can understand. And this affects, in turn, how we go about presenting the Word of God as well. We seek to speak, I seek to speak when I preach and teach clearly and plainly in a way that people are able to understand. And this has precedent in God's Word. Again, going back to the first part of your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 8 says this, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. God has told us what we need to know, and he's made it available to us by both preserving it and making it plain for us. But God said something else to Habakkuk. The Lord said to Habakkuk, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets. Here's why. So that a herald may run with it. Now in ancient times, for a king to communicate his message throughout his empire, he couldn't go 
on three networks and cable channels during prime time and give an address. So he had the message written down, and then he would send a representative called a herald, whose task was to take the message and to proclaim it in the marketplaces throughout the empire. This is what pastors do as a profession. And it's what all of us are to do as a way of life. It is not for me to simply offer my opinions or present my philosophy or to try to talk people into agreeing with my ideas. God has commissioned me to be a herald of His Word and to proclaim what He has said. And if you want to know what a church that God likes looks like, it's a church where His Word is exalted and His Word is proclaimed. God said to Habakkuk this as well, it will not prove false. This Word that I am giving you will be true at all times and in all places and in all ways. It will not prove false. God has made many promises throughout His Word. We find those promises have never proved false. To Noah, he said, Noah, I want you to spend 120 years preaching and building an ark because 120 years from now, I'm going to make it rain. Have you ever considered the fact that when God commissioned Noah to do this, it had never rained? He endured 120 years of mocking and ridicule and criticism, but at the appointed time, rain fell. Sodom and Gomorrah were inhabited by people who lived as if there would never be a time where they would have to answer to God. But at God's promised, determined moment, Sodom and Gomorrah fell. Beware, United States of America. God promised a man named Abraham that he, Abraham, would have a son. And years and years passed to the point that Abraham and his wife Sarah were well beyond the time in which they were capable of bearing children. But at God's appointed time, Isaac was born as a miracle of God. God told Abraham that his offspring would enter into Egypt, that they would be there for 430 years, and then God would deliver them. In the second book of your Bible, Exodus chapter 12, the Word of God describes that exit that they made from Egypt in these words. At the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. God's made many promises. None of them has proved false. And on a hill just outside Jerusalem, a small band of disciples one day watched with their mouths hanging open as the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the clouds. The Bible tells us two angels appeared, and these angels said this, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And God's promises have never proved false. Jesus will return. And so, first and foremost, of the things that God looks for in a church is a church that values truth. Community values truth. We value truth, I say in your outline, for this reason. It is, truth is, absolute. Truth is absolute. Contrary to what many in our culture believe, truth is not relative. Truth is not what is true for you. 
Truth is what God says is truth. It is absolute. Let me ask you a question. How do you know that you are special beyond the animal world? What makes you any different and entitled to a right to life beyond animals? Have you ever thought about that? Some of you are hunters, and in hunting season, you will be able to kill and eat at will. But I trust none of you have done that with people. There's a reason for that. But I'm asking you if you have a reason for that. I know the reason for that because I know God's Word and I believe God's Word. And it's in God's Word that we are told in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. The reason that we are special is because God has told us that He has made us different than the animals. If you don't have God's Word, if you don't have God's truth, if you don't have the absolute foundation of God's Word, then you have no idea the answer to the question, what makes humanity special? I'm going to show you a video. This video goes for about six minutes. And it's going to be a man-on-the-street kind of interview asking folks, what is truth? Do you believe in absolute truth? Is truth relative? I encourage you to listen and get some insight into the mindset of our culture. I think inside, from your mind and your heart, whatever you feel is right. So absolute truth is, is inside of you? Yeah. Do you believe in absolute truth? Sure. Yeah, I do. What is an absolute truth? Something is universal. All right. And where does that truth come from? Um, it comes from the society. So what if the society changes its mind? Then the absolute truth changes. Doesn't that mean it's relative? Everything's relative, though. If truth is relative, what is its basis? It's probably relative to who you are, what you consider truth to be. Everybody's definition of truth is different. All right. So then, if truth is relative, right, and you, and you have your truth, yeah. and I have mine, and you have yours, yeah. how do we figure things out? There's no standard. There's no standard. 
There's no way, no one's out there that's high enough for anything to say, okay, this is truth, you gotta run by this, you know? Like, people say the Bible's true, like, people will go and worship it and say it's true, but I really don't see any, like, real proof that it's true, that, like, that Jesus Christ was living and that all that went on, like, the crucifixion, what was it? Christmas? Yeah, all that stuff. I don't. Hell. Uh, yeah, I don't get how people can believe in God, you know, when <laughs> nobody's ever seen them. I'm sure if you believe in something a lot, you can prove it. Like, if someone is very strict on their belief, then they can definitely prove it. I'm pretty sure. Or it's false. Or you come, if, you, if there's two people arguing about something, about, you know, if it's truthful or not, then one of them has to win, hopefully, in that, you know, conversation. So, yeah, there's an absolute truth. In your opinion, there's there's nothing that is true that is beyond your understanding. No, I wouldn't say that. What would you say? I would say that I carry around my truths with me wherever I go, and sometimes I come in contact with other truths that I think are more true than my truths, so I adopt other people's truths. Does that make sense? There's nothing that's absolutely true. Um... Then what is the standard for truth? Uh, it's all based on, in my opinion, just like cultural customs. What is the basis for truth? Your experiences, the situation. I think truthfulness is through somebody's own perspective. Mm -hmm. So, if truth is a, a human characteristic, then is there anything outside of human understanding that could be true? Um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of getting kind of deep. <laughs> where, where does human come from? Um, how did human get created? You know, it's the same question as that. It's a question that can't be answered. No matter how you try, you can't answer that question. There's so many questions you can answer, like that, like this one right now. Like, absolute truth, like talk about gravity, talk about the sun being hot. Where does it come from? You can't answer that question. Absolute truth comes from, uh, your your own beliefs when you examine things that you want to believe in you eventually end up in you know in, in a certain set of beliefs where you get your absolute truth mm -hmm. so there's absolute truth inside of you yeah absolute truth is what you make it for yourself it won't be the absolute truth for somebody else but for yourself it will be that absolute truth for you but doesn't that make it relative in the sense that if it's true for you, but not true for me, yeah, is it it, it, it's very relative, and that, this is why you know everybody's on their own individual journey to find the absolute truth for themselves. It's an individual basis. Okay. Do you believe in absolute truth? Yes. All right. And where does that come from? Where does absolute? Where truth? does the belief come from, or absolute truth? Where does absolute truth come from? God. And what does that suggest for our lives if, if absolute truth comes from God? It means you have to believe in God and trust in God. And therefore, absolute truth. Where does that come from? Where does, where does absolute truth derive from? <laughs> God, I guess. I really? Okay. And, and if God is an absolute truth, then what does that suggest for our, our lives? I don't know, I guess that we need God or something. God. Yeah.
So absolute truth is relative. How's that working out for us as a culture? And it's not just the ditziest people that they could find on the street who believe that. People in our culture, very otherwise intelligent people, believe that. And it affects profoundly the way they live. Justice, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said this, I see no reason for attributing to humanity a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or to a grain of sand. A justice on the United States Supreme Court. Do you see, friends, once you reject absolute truth, it affects the way you live. And that's because of the next thing I say in your outline. Community values truth because, yes, it's absolute, but also because it is foundational. It is foundational. Once you build your life on the shaky foundation of human opinion rather than the absolute truth of the Word of God, then you find yourself adrift in terms of how to live and how it is we were made to live. Right and wrong become impossible to define. Now, I promise this is the last video. We have two today. This one's only about three minutes. And it's painful to watch as you see a young person struggle to define what is right and wrong once upon the shaky foundation of relative truth. So, your name is again? Ben. Ben, okay. Ben, my name's Chad. So, Ben, you don't believe in right and wrong? Nope. And why is that? It's purely subjective. I mean, it's never really straight up and down, if that makes any sense. That's kind of the best way I could explain it. So when you think of something like torturing babies for the fun of it, you can't say that's black and white wrong? You, you say I that it's, 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 it's open? I say it's cruel. But I mean, like, torturing babies for the fun of it, you should be stopped. I don't believe in right or wrong, but I would stop you if I saw you doing it. Okay. I don't think you'd go to hell if you did it, though, because... I mean, even if you did go to hell, you can find heaven and hell. When you use a word like should or ought, are you not assuming that there's a certain way that things should or ought to be? Hmm. In my own personal ideals, I've, I have an ideal world. But I believe that other people disagree with me about what my ideal world is, and they could be just as right as I am. I think you could be just as right as I am. So you think that each individual person has their own truth value, and it's equivalent to one another. I have my opinion, you have your opinion, and neither one of us has any more truth value than the other? Essentially. Yes or no? Yes. So your truth value, your opinion, has no more weight or bearing than a child molester's or a rapist? They still believe what they believe, you know? Like, think about it. How many rapists were priests? Uh, the question was, though, you believe by your standard that their moral opinion is just as valuable, not any less valuable, than yours. It has just as much weight. Yeah, they're still human beings. Everybody has their, everybody has their right to have their moral opinion. Now, the rest of the human race and the rest of the world, maybe even the rest of the universe and nature itself, may try to stop that because it's something that goes against, you know, 
how do I word this, the well-being of everything around it, but I still think they're entitled to do that. Just like, and I, they're going to tape this, and I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I have to, just like I think Hitler's entitled to do what he did, but I still would have fought against him. Why would you fight against him? I don't agree with the taking, just, I don't believe in genocide. It's too, it's like, it's just like, you know, the right versus wrong. It's like saying, because you're you, you're wrong. And just kind of going back on what you're saying, though, that's only your opinion, Mm -hmm. and your opinion ultimately has no more value than a child molester's or a rapist. Pretty much. Isn't there something within you that just kind of screams, this is just wrong, but I can't explain it from my worldview? Isn't there something within you that just says raping and child molesting isn't only subjectively wrong, it's not just wrong because that's my opinion, but it's absolutely wrong. But with my worldview, I just can't explain that somehow. Is that sort of the conundrum that you're in? Hmm. Something along those lines. That's what happens when you give up belief in God, when you suppress the truth. People are willing to sound and look like idiots rather than submit to what should be the obvious fact that we must have truth outside of ourselves in order for us to live. And yet, as I said earlier, it's not just the man on the street. Let me tell you a bit more about Oliver Wendell Holmes. Based upon his worldview, as a Supreme Court justice, he read his belief in something called eugenics into the Constitution, writing the decision in Buck versus Bell that upheld the forced sterilization of a young woman on the grounds that she had a low IQ. Submitting his personal views in the place of the Constitution, he wrote, quote, in the Supreme Court decision, three generations of imbeciles are enough. The Nazis, who sterilized over 400,000 people, used that decision in their propaganda. When that practice was condemned at the Nuremberg trials, the counsel for the accused Nazis likewise cited Holmes' opinion in their defense. The Bible says this, In words written by the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, at the conclusion of 12 chapters of giving his experiences of what life is all about, the words of the wise are like goads, he says. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. And then he says in the final, the next verse, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Community values truth. Now how do we go about showing that value of truth? Each week we preach from God's Word. Next week when you come in here, we will turn to Matthew chapter 5 and we will look in context at what God says and seek to apply that to our lives. We do that every week. If you're looking for a church that honors God, you want a church that does that. And we offer courses to help you learn God's Word and to apply it. 
We have core courses offered in what we call our community institute that meets midweek during the school year, September through May, with a foundational course called How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible, a course called the Discovery Series, Discovering the Christian Life, Discovering Intimacy with God, Discovering Your Role in God's Family, Discovering How to Share Your Faith. It covers all of those. And then a systematic theology course for regular people called Master Plan for Life. Community values truth. Secondly, in your outline and quickly. Community values community. These three foundational values that we have are truth and community. We'll give the third in just a bit. Community values truth and it values community. And this community that God values and therefore we value, I say in the outline, is based on love for God. If we love God, then we will value community. Now, here's why. Jesus was being, uh, was approached by some of his detractors on one occasion. And the Bible tells us this, hearing that Jesus had silenced another faction of his detractors, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And here was Jesus' response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But then Jesus went on to say this. He didn't just leave it there and say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul. But rather, he went to show the effect that that will have on your relationships with others. And that's why we say in the outline... It's based on love for God, but then secondly, it's based on love for others as well. Because Jesus went on to say this, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, love for God and love for others. The Bible gives us very direct commands about the need to demonstrate our love for others if we love him. In the book of 1 John, in your New Testament, the Bible tells us we cannot say that we love God if we do not love our brother. In Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says this, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That is, everyone made in the image of God is valuable to God and is, to be, is loved by God and is to be loved by God's people. And we prioritize those who have needs within the community of faith, the family of of God. But we, as we have opportunity, seek to do good to all people. Now, how does Community Bible Church do this? Our worship services, what we're in now, every week, are designed to be centered on God because we love God supremely. And if you're looking for a church that honors God, you want to find a church that is centered on God himself that is centered on the praise and the worship of God and the teaching of God's truth. But secondly, in order to love others, we offer environments for the flourishing of relationships with one another. So having gotten to know one another, we can know how better to serve one another. When we're done here in just a few minutes, we will have 30 minutes of just a refreshment time. We do that, yes, so you can have some food and some refreshment. But we do it for a much more strategic reason, so that you can get to know one another. And we offer a ministry designed to foster intimate relationships called community groups. 
Those meet on Sunday evenings. They meet in homes. And it's in that intimate setting over a period of time that you get to know one another as you pray for one another and you understand one another's burdens. Our church has, now that we have this ministry center, thanks be to God, we have a long list of things that we want to do in our community, helping those who are currently outside the family of faith and using that as an instrument to bring them in contact with the gospel and into the family of God. Community values truth. Community values community. And then third and finally, community values service. Truth, community, and service. God has given us a purpose. God has left us here on earth in order for us to fulfill the purpose that he has for us in the mission that he has assigned to be carried out by his people. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's why we have the Bible, and that's why we teach the Bible, to teach you that mission and how you fit into it. But in order to achieve that purpose, it means that you find your place in serving God in his mission. And that's why we say we value service. And I say in your outline, this service in the, in the pursuit of God's mission was modeled by Jesus himself, was modeled by Jesus. The Bible tells us this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible tells us that that was true of Jesus, and we're to emulate the life of Jesus, but it tells us very directly about ourselves, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then after those verses, there are these famous lines in the Bible that some of you are familiar with that tell us that this very thing, this selfless service for others was modeled by the Lord Jesus himself. It says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This service in the pursuit of the mission that God has given to us was modeled by Jesus, but I say lastly in your outline, it is a privilege for us. It was modeled by Jesus. But to serve the true and living God in his mission, hear this, friends, it is a privilege for us. Now, why do I say that? Because the Bible refers to the abilities that you have as gifts. That means someone gave them to you. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 12. These are the work of the one and same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. God has gifted you in unique ways, and He has given those gifts to be applied for His mission. And it's a privilege then for us to take what God has given and then to put it into the pursuit of His mission. That's why the Bible says this. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, do this. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, notice that last phrase. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's a matter of worship for you to take what God has given and to give it back to Him in sacrificial service. The King James Version of that verse says this. 
in the old English with the ye's and all of that, but here's what it says. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. But notice the last line now. Instead of, this is your spiritual act of worship, it says, which is your reasonable service. And the reason for that, the reason for the difference in translation is the Greek word is logizomai. We get our word logic from it. And the King James is on to something here. When it says it is only reasonable, it is only logical, that in view of the mercies of God that have been given to us in Christ Jesus, that in turn we present ourselves as living sacrifices unto him. It is a privilege then for us to serve the Lord God. Now, how do we make that possible for you at Community Bible Church? We make it plain to everyone who joins our church, if Jesus served, and he did, in the ultimate way, then we are to serve. We have a ministry that's designed to find out how God has wired you, what your abilities are, what your experiences are, what you're able to do and what you like to do, and then work with you to find an area of service that fits your profile. We call that the community service ministry. So what does a good church look like? It looks like a church that values truth, a church that values community, a church that values service. And I say in your take-home truth, here's our mission statement then for our church. We exist to help people do these three things, learn about God. Why? Because we value truth. And we exist to help people love him and others. Why? Because we value community. And we exist to help people live for his purpose. Why? Because we value service. Now, if by God's grace we can be that kind of church, we will be a church that honors God. And if you're looking for a church that honors God, I encourage you to consider Community Bible Church. Now, we're going to be dismissed with our prayer and closing song. But I want to encourage those of you that are new here to let us know how we can give you more information about our church. We provided that connection card that is the rightmost panel of your program. We have a number of our ministries listed there, including the community ministry that I mentioned, our community institute ministry, community service is how you get involved. There's a checkbox for that. You let us know what you would like more information about. We'll get that to you. Turn that in at the information desk before you leave. Let's bow together before the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for the wisdom that ordained the church. We thank you, Lord, that we learn about what the church is to be and what the church is to do in the word that you have given us. Over 1,600 years, the word of God was composed by 40 different authors. And you have brought it all together and preserved it for us in our day. Thank you, Lord God, that we are not left aimless to walk in the darkness. But you have given us the light and the lamp of your word so that we know what your church is to be and what your church is to do. We, we know what we were designed to be and what we are to do. Help us to be faithful then to that task and grant us joy in the journey. And I pray for those who have come into this room, not knowing the light of your word, but wondering where they can find it. I pray that they find it here. And I pray that they find a place to stand at the foot of the cross of Jesus 
They come to you by faith, believing in who he is and what he has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that they in turn live for the purpose that you have placed us here. Oh Lord, help us to be a place that indeed helps people learn about God. Love him and others and live for his purpose. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.